It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Here we are, Inside Black and Gold. I'm Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak. And last time we talked, we didn't get into a few new free agent signings for this Black and Gold team. We actually put together our mock draft 2.0s that we'll get into as well. And uh, when we close things out, will be a fun mailbag edition with whoever comes into the March Madness edition Sweet 16 of our of our Inside Black and Gold podcast. Yeah, let's 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 go with that. This is our Sweet 16 pod. UConn's going to win it all. Don't worry. It's going to happen. It's happened before. It'll happen again. Anyway, yeah, so we're going to we're going to get going with kind of the rundown as we have decided to call it. We're going to go through hit a bunch of the news that has happened since the last time we recorded, which was on Monday and there have been a few things that happened. As Steve mentioned, we both have our mock drafts. We'll do that in the second segment. And then the final segment, as always, we're going to do the live mailbag. So anyone watching on YouTube, make sure to get those comments or questions in there. And we will get to as many as we can in the back portion of this program. But to start, we can start with the signings that the Saints have made this week. They brought back defensive tackle Malcolm Roach. They signed offensive lineman Storm Norton, which sounds like a fun name that must have a very fun story behind it. But when we talked to him this week, it was the most boring story in terms of like, it was the most boring naming story relative to the interesting name that I've ever heard so much so that I don't even feel like it's worth telling. Do you want to hear the story, Steve? I feel like you've enticed the audience. Now you must, I feel you like must I relay yeah. this info that is so pertinent. Apparently, his parents went to like a baseball game. I don't even know. It might have been like a Detroit Tigers. I honestly don't know. And they, there was a pitcher. His name was Storm. And they decided at that moment when they have a son, they're going to name him Storm. And that's where the name came from. That's it. That's the story. Storm Norman. I thought it was going to have to do. I thought it was going to have to do with the general uh, Norman Schwarzkopf, Storm and Norman. Yeah, right. I don't. I, I don't know. It, anyway. did, it did not though. It was so, completely something different. Yeah, so Malcolm Roach coming back, I think that's that's relevant, right? That's good depth on the defensive tackle position, which you needed. You obviously have already signed Colin Saunders and Nathan Shepard, and uh, you know you're just gonna kind of build out that position. Storm Norton's gonna be depth on the offensive line. If he ends up starting, you're in trouble. But then the other two I think are interesting, and you had cornerback Lonnie Johnson Jr., who is listed as a cornerback, but. I'm, he he actually played more snaps at safety last year than corner. And these are both guys who played for multiple teams last year, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and then first former first-round pick, number 27 overall pick in 2019 of the then Oakland Raiders, Jonathan Abram, who is a safety. And it sounds like, you know, when you talk about his role, is going to be a big special teams contributor. And I think both of those guys are going to be interesting to watch in terms of someone's got to play the slot. 
And I think one of those two guys is going to end up kind of in that role or at least in that rotation as the season goes on, kind of like you had last year, because you didn't really have a dedicated slot corner. It was kind of a rotation of guys. And I think both of them could potentially um, get in there. It's like Dennis Allen couldn't help himself with Abram. He had to have that that Raiders connection, right? It's, yeah, I guess. He, he wasn't, I mean, he got drafted to the Raiders five years after Dennis Allen got fired. So there's no right, connection right. whatsoever. But yeah, no, I, I think part of it is Jonathan wanted to be here. He's from Mississippi. He referred to it as his hometown team. Uh, he told a story about how when he was a kid, he went to a Saints game. They played the Falcons, and he was yelling at Joe Horn, oh, give me a ball, give me a ball. And then later in the game, he caught a touchdown from Aaron Brooks, and Joe Horn gave him a ball, and he still has it. So, like, he is a Saints fan, and so he's home playing for the Saints. So it's not not quite a Tyron Matthew or a Jarvis Landry homecoming story, but it is pretty close. He played for Mississippi State. I mean, if we're being honest, he probably grew up closer to New Orleans than Jarvis Landry did. So, yeah, and, and I think the one of the reasons you bring these guys in is because they fill kind of this, this role that the Saints are kind of fascinated with, I think, in terms of the secondary is they want one guy who can do at least two different things, maybe more. And P.J. Williams has not been re-signed yet. He might still come back on that one-year deal that he always comes back on, but I think these might be the replacement signings if you were ready to move on from PJ, who I think had a down year last year relative to what you were hoping for. You know, he's 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 a veteran. He's been around for a while. I just don't think he he was giving you enough last year. You could still bring him back, but I think that that's what this is geared toward is kind of getting a little more athletic on that front. And like you hear both of these guys talk, and that's really what they hammer is like, I'm willing to do anything. Here's what Lonnie had to say when asked, like, whether he thinks his better position is actually safety or corner. It, it really don't matter with me. Uh, honestly, that's, that's the uh, God-given talent that um, I have, and that, that's what he has still to me to be able to play multiple positions, um, which is a blessing. Uh, I just got to go out there, like I told them guys, man, I just want to focus, hone in on the playbook, uh, learn as much as I can. So whenever it comes, whether it's matchups with tight ends, whether it's me playing in the middle of the field, slide, me going the outside, at corner, like I just want to want to show that I can do them all and, and do them all at a, at, a, at a high level and perform at the best level I can for the team. So, I mean, like he's 6'2", he's strong, he's athletic. And so I think if you're the Saints, you're looking for a guy who can do multiple things, who can play in the slot, who can go outside, who can just be that kind of all-around depth. Uh, and I think that's what you kind of have in him, even though he hasn't been able to latch on with anyone the last couple of seasons, it seems like. Yeah, the versatility is always, you know, Dennis Allen does a really good job of being able to, you know, find the the right piece for the right job in this defense is, and has made a lot of guys even more multiple and versatile than I think they expect it to be. You, you, you know, you bring up a guy like P.J. Williams. Who I, I definitely don't think um, we can – uh, write them off yet. Obviously, no. I don't. I don't think anyone's breaking down the door to sign Peej right now, and it'll probably be a a pretty relative cheap one year. Again, another one year deal. Uh, but he 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 has a versatility value to him as well. Plus, you know, someone that has been around, someone that you know is familiar with the ins and outs of everything that Dennis Allen wants to do. But yeah, the problem is obviously he's. He might be getting up there where his abilities are not not even to say that he was the, the greatest 
DB to have on this team, but he was definitely a piece that you know could come through in a pinch kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I mean, I, I would be surprised if he ends up anywhere else, right? Like, I think he's a guy who knows the Saints system and they can bring in at any point and feel comfortable with. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he even lands up on, he lands on the practice squad, kind of like Chris Harris did last year. And you just kind of use him for a free elevation three times a year and he gets still gets his paycheck and he still sticks around. It could even be the something, depending on the relationship, like Detroit, I could see Aaron Glenn say, hey, you know what, come on over here. PJ Williams, and if they if they had a good rapport with each other, even with you know anybody like the the other defensive coordinate co-defensive coordinators that are now gone to, th- there could be other tentacles coming for PJ. But I just feel like yeah, he he seems like a guy that's a, that's going to be New Orleans from start to finish. Tentacles. <laughs> that's a that's an interesting term. But yeah, so one other connection before we move on, Jonathan Abram, he he was teammates in college at Mississippi State with JT Gray. So he knows him yeah. very well. He also knows Tyron Matthew previously. They they talked after he signed. Tyron, every every defensive back every, or defensive player honestly that signs with the Saints talks about Tyron Matthew. And it's kind of it's kind of interesting when you when you kind of dive into it because he's basically he's a player that a lot of these younger defensive backs grew up watching and and modeling their game after. Like Lonnie said that he always kind of modeled his game after Tyron Matthew, just kind of a taller version. And his career honestly was weird because he got drafted to the Texans the year that Tyron left Houston and went to Kansas City. He got traded to Kansas City last year, which happened to be the year Tyron left and came to the Saints. And now they're actually on the same roster. And it's just kind of funny to hear these guys talk about it. But here's Jonathan Abram kind of talking about how he fits in in this building. And I do think it's interesting because you're talking about a first round pick who has basically been cast off as, I mean, I don't want to say a bust, but no one was climbing over themselves to give him a a lucrative second deal. Like he said that he had other people, other teams interested, but I don't think at the level that you would have hoped after being the number 27 overall pick. And so, you know, the saints are getting a talented player but I do think they are benefiting from the fact that like there's no ego coming in. And I think this soundbite from Jonathan kind of underscores that. I mean, I don't really take it personal, you know. Um, more so, like you say, I just try to figure out how I can help contribute, you know, because it's not really about me. You know, it's about helping the team win no matter what team that is, you know. And the goal is to win a Super Bowl no matter where I'm at, who I'm playing for. So, you know, trying to just do my my, my small part in such a – in such a big role as you know because it's a team sport you know it takes 11 players that on each side of the ball at all times to contribute and do their part to make sure you know things turn out how we want them to so as far as handling the adversity i don't really think it was adversity you know it was just more so me the biggest adversity was just me moving you know from right. home to home <laughs> you know as far as you know trying to figure out how i fit in on each team and you know what i can contribute and what i can help bring to a team you know that never changed you know like i said simply just trying to do my job and just do the best i can and just being who i can be you know making the guys around me better yeah and so you could hear bobby kind of chiming in there those are both interviews from sports talk this week well i think lonnie was actually last week no lonnie was on monday i can't remember i'm losing track of the days it's thursday um, so if you want to hear those full interviews, they're both on YouTube. Um, if you want to kind of read more about these players, there are features on both of them at WWL.com. Uh, so feel free to go check those out. And uh, yeah, it's I think that having a first round 
talent who is willing to show up and go all in on special teams is all you need to know in terms of why the saints were willing to bring Jonathan Abrams in, right? Like I don't, I'm, I'm having a hard time not calling him JJ Abrams and I'm having a hard time not calling Lonnie, Lonnie Walker. It's, it's a, it's a struggle every day, but I'm, I'm trying to avoid it. But I do think like, so you, Justin Evans signed with the Eagles. He was a guy who you had in that rotation last year. And I think both of these guys serve similar roles in the defense that, that you feel really good about. Yeah. The, the definite key piece being, you know, you mentioned versatility, obviously with these guys being able to play uh, a couple of different spots uh, in the secondary for the saints. And, you know, I think that Justin Evans had a decent first season here in New Orleans. I know there were obviously there were some some lows, but I mean you could say that pretty much. <laughs> I think about everyone, but I, I I thought that you know he showed a lot during training camp and kind of was someone that was a, a contributor during the season, but really didn't have any huge you know big flash plays. But I thought was a solid a solid piece. Yeah, no, he made the team, right? Like he 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 played his way onto the roster. I, I do wonder whether he would have made the roster had CJ not been traded, right? Like I think that when CJ got traded, it kind of locked him into a, a spot. And he that's that's how he got on the field, was in the slot. And in some games when there were safeties out, he would get on there. You know, Marcus May missed several games and he got a lot of run at free safety. And I don't think he excelled in that position. I think he was better in the slot. Um, but yeah, I mean, he played reasonably well. He played as well as you could have hoped. And I mean, the Eagles, the Eagles paid him. So they, they clearly felt like they liked what they saw. Um, so yeah, I mean, they lost CJ Gardner Johnson too now. Yeah. Whatever team gets rid of (laughs) CJ Gardner Johnson is going to put Justin Evans on the roster. That's the, that is the deal. But all right, moving on. One other thing that we learned about this week, I don't really have much to say about it other than I'm looking forward to going out to LA is the saints are expected to have joint practices with the chargers this season, which it's a common, a common joint practice team. I think they were out there in 2019 and they, I think 2017 as well. So these two teams are pretty familiar with each other, but yeah, it's, I think that's going to be week two of the preseason. So yeah, that's all I got. No, that's definitely a prime setup they have over there the chargers uh in in la and i hope you get to stay we had we had to stay at the the westin out in los angeles last time and i made it a purpose to bring my laptop out to the pool because of the sights were so damn gorgeous from the the ladies attending to the sights you see around with the city it was it's a good time and um yeah, just I love joint practices just because I feel like you even get better work than a preseason game because you, you know, you can come back and, and go over even a drill again if you want with someone. Yeah, no, I, I think you do get more out of these joint practices than you than you might in a preseason game, at least for the starters. Like it, it, a lot of the depth players, you'll get more out of a preseason game because you're playing full speed because you're trying to make the team. But for like, you know, for like a Marshawn Lattimore, these are the these are the only real reps he's going to get in terms right. of like, you know, maybe outside of like one or two plays in the final preseason game. But he's going to have real reps in this setup. So Michael Thomas, another good example. Um, I know they were out in Green Bay this past year. 
it's funny you mentioned Marshawn because even if he were to get in a preseason game, he'd be like, man, I'm not running. This is okay, the you're playing off coverage. You're not jamming anybody. You're not doing anything <laughs> mean a that might thing. be to an injury. Like you're just you're just making sure you can still run and stuff. Uh, so, but yeah, these are, I'm surprised more teams don't do them. Honestly, they have become more popular. Um, but all right, two other things we want to get to. One is kind of just a mind blowing, like bizarre story. Foster Morrow, who the Saints had in on a free agent visit, former LSU tight end, New Orleans native, started Jesuit. He was going through a physical with the Saints medical staff. And to me, that indicates that they were getting ready to sign him or at least like heavily considering signing him. I don't think you would go through a physical with a team if they weren't like pretty far down the road of bringing you in. And during that process, it was discovered that he has Hodgkin's lymphoma and He's going to have to step away from football as he battles cancer, which is crazy. I don't even, I mean, it's, uh, you know, best, best wishes to him. Obviously keep him in your thoughts, but like, that's just so wild. And hopefully, hopefully he can uh, get through it. Yeah. How, how awful is that? You think obviously you're, you're back home. You look like it seemed like, you know, on the, the, the precipice of signing a deal with the, with your back, with the saints, a team probably he grew up rooting for. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, most uh, of, yeah. Uh, but, but man, and then to find out, well, we got some bad news for you and it's not that we don't want you. It's the fact that <laughs> we've discovered something and I can't imagine how that conversation went. No, right. <laughs> like, exactly. Like Foster, yeah. I hope you're sitting down. <laughs> it's like, Gosh. uh, why, what's, what do you, what's wrong? Right. Yeah. I don't know what he expected to find out in that physical, but I guarantee you it was not that. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting too, because it's like, I think it does show you like, yes, the saints were, were like probably going to bring him in. So right. now they, you know, I don't know what they're going to do with that tight end, but they're clearly looking for another tight end option. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully Foster can get back. I, I think probably the silver lining here is, you know, it's a lot, you know, dealing with cancer is a lot, I don't want to say easier, but more effective if you get to it early. And I have a, like, I think this is the type of situation where, you know, you might, if you didn't have that physical, you might've gone months and months before you were even aware of it. So hopefully that's a situation where they were able to get it early and, you know, he seems upbeat about it and hopefully, uh, you know, it's something we're going to keep an eye on, but uh, yeah. But yeah. So the one other thing I do want to get into before we move on to the mock drafts, Michael Thomas's deal. It's kind of fascinating when you look at it and you talk about some of the incentives um, it's actually, and this was a report from Mike Triplett. Uh, he, he got it first over at new Football. It's actually not a $10 million guaranteed contract per se. The, the minimum amount is actually about six point something million. And the rest of that to get up to 10 million is tied to availability incentives. And when I say availability, I mean, a significant chunk of it is tied to him being on the active game day roster each week. So I think that's 3.74 million that is kind of divvied up between being on the active game day roster and being on the 53 man roster. So like if he's active for all 17 games, he gets all of that money. If he goes on injured reserve, he only gets the 53 man roster bonus, which is much smaller. And so I think it's a good, a good way for the saints to be like, okay, we're going to guarantee you this money as long as you're here. Right. And I think that's a fair way to do it. Like if you're not available, 
then you're not going to get all of this money. If you are available, great. We want to pay you. But, you know, I think it's a good way for them to kind of protect themselves a little bit. And so those are the kind of base incentives. And those are the guaranteed incentives of like, if you show up and you're available, you're going to get this money. Literally nothing beyond that. (laughs) All he has to do is be available and this money is his. So that's why it kind of got a little misconstrued as being guaranteed because I think there's like a category of incentives that are like likely to likely to cash and those would be in there. So they're effectively guaranteed. Whereas there's another 5 million worth of incentives that are a bit more interesting in terms of whether he can get to them. But what do you think of that deal, Steve, as you kind of look at it? I think that with, with Thomas, you're, you're just hoping obviously to get, I don't even know what to, what to expect, what kind of production from him, but I think the rework deal is definitely fair for all parties, obviously. Yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of where you land on it. And so then there's another 5 million of incentives that I find interesting. So he has a receptions incentive. He can kind of, he can earn up to $750,000 in increments of $250,000. So like if he gets to a hundred catches, that's 250,000. If he gets to 110 catches, it's another 250,000. If he gets to 120 catches, that's another 250,000. So it's going to be interesting if he is available for all 17 games and he gets to that kind of range where like, oh, you're in week 15 and he has like 96 catches. How much do you pepper him over the final two weeks? Knowing that like, oh, five catches one way or another could be like a quarter million dollar difference in terms of his paycheck. And I do think it's funny because the Saints have always been a team that is willing to shell that out. Like if you remember Emmanuel Sanders in the 2020 season, that was the case he was in. He needed like nine catches to get to his, I can't remember, I think it was a half million dollar incentive, catches incentive. And like they just peppered him with targets the entire game. Like there was no question what they were doing. And I do appreciate that. Like if you're going to give someone incentives in their deal and he can get to it, you shouldn't, you shouldn't try to screw him out of that money. And the team, like the coaches and the play callers should definitely not do that. I'll just go through a couple more of them. Receiving yards as well. It's the same setup where a thousand yards, he's going to get 250K. If he gets to 1150, that's another 250. 1300, that's another 250. So if he maximizes those out, 120 catches, 1300 yards, he makes an extra $1.5 million in this deal. Yeah, I mean, we hope that he earns that money, obviously, right? Right. <laughs> right. So there's a few There's a few others. Receiving touchdowns, if he gets the seven, that's $250,000. If he makes the Pro Bowl and the team qualifies for the postseason, so it's, it's not or, it's and. Like if he only makes the Pro Bowl, he doesn't get it. If the team only makes the playoffs, he doesn't get it. If he gets both of those things, that's another $200,000. If he makes the all-pro first team, that's $500,000. If he is the offensive player of the year, that's a million dollars. And here's a funny one. If he's the NFL MVP, he makes $500,000. So the bonus for being offensive player of the year is twice as much as if he if he wins MVP, which is almost guaranteed not to happen because MVP is always a quarterback. <laughs> yeah, when's the, um, last, when's the last wide receiver that's won a MVP award? I don't think there ever has been one. I don't. I, I think I looked this up. Like I don't think there's ever been a wide receiver winning it. That's one MVP. And, and if you could ever pick one, it would probably have been 2019 when he had 149 catches and was objectively the most valuable player on that roster. And I don't think he even got like votes. I don't think it was even close. Yeah, I don't. I so, can't recall like Jerry Rice getting an MVP no, or, or Randy Moss. I know a couple of running backs have. Like Adrian right. Peterson won it. 
like Charles Woodson, I think won it. No, Charles Woodson won the Heisman. He might've won MVP. I can't remember, but yeah. So, okay. A couple more Super Bowl MVP. That would be another 500 K Super Bowl win plus 110 catches or 1150 yards, 500 K. And that's interesting to me because like they weren't, they wouldn't just hand him that $500,000 incentive and say, if we win a Super Bowl, we're going to give you $500,000. They're saying, if we win a Super Bowl and you contributed to it significantly, we'll give you money. But they're not just going to be like, if we win a Super Bowl without you, we're not giving you half a million dollars. <laughs> and I, I don't know. Like, I think there was some interesting give and take in these negotiations, I, I think. And if you're the Saints and he hits these, you're like, great. You were the offensive player of the year. We'll gladly pay you an extra million dollars because you earned it. But also, like, you're not just shelling out money to a guy who you can't necessarily trust based on the injury history. So I do think this was an interesting way to set it up. And, you know, hope it'll be fun to watch and see if he maybe can hit some of these incentives. And if he does, then I think the Saints are in real good shape. Yeah, into the deep dive of wide receivers and MVP awards. Uh, has never happened. The closest, yep. Je- Jerry Rice in 87 but Elway took it that year. So if he wins the MVP and not the Offensive Player of the Year, he gets $500,000. If he wins the Offensive Player of the Year and not the MVP, he'll get a million dollars. If he wins both, $1.5 million. So 200 catch season incoming. Yeah, and I guess that shows you right there. It's like you're, you're definitely not getting the MVP. So what was it you said? Offensive Player of the Year is worth more? Yeah. The the other one is like, pro, like team gets to the playoffs and makes the Pro Bowl. That's another good example of like if we make the playoffs without you we're not paying you a quarter million dollars if we make it and you're also a pro bowler sure you know and, and i think that's an example of one where he was probably like if we make the play you know that, that was probably a team addition of like we'll give this to you but we want to at least guarantee that you had a, a role in this before we sh- we agree to shell out a quarter million dollars because we're a we're like eight and nine and then the, and a wild card team right what, um, when, do you, when do you think like the next time we get like we just recently got a medical update from the Pelicans. When are we going to get like a medical update from the Saints on what's going on with Michael Thomas? Because where where is he right now? Do we do we even know in his recovery? We don't. But I mean, I don't think there's any reason to expect him not to be ready. He, I mean, he remember he he got hurt in week three. He had that surgery about halfway through the season. Like realistically speaking, if they had made the playoffs. He would have been on the fringe of being able to get back. I'm not saying he ever was looking to get back, but in terms of a timetable, that's where you would have been looking at. Um, like if they made a deep run and they were going to the Super Bowl, there you might have been in a situation where you could have brought him back. Obviously, they didn't make the playoffs, so it never became a conversation. But you would hope, honestly, you would hope to see him at OTAs. Like I, I, if I'm the Saints, and I get it, you're a star, you don't have to be there. But if I'm the Saints and you have a new quarterback and you want to put your right, the right foot forward, no pun intended, I would want to see him at OTAs because I want him to get as much work with Derek Carr as possible. So that's going to be the first question is when these OTAs start rolling in, is Mike there? Is he getting work in? And, uh, you know, I, I, he seems like he's kind of energized with Derek Carr in-house. In, in so I think there's a good chance you do see him. No, I, de- I definitely agree with the whole energized bit because, we, we you know, obviously we talked about it immediately when – you know, thank Jesus, praying hands came together. It just didn't seem typical Mike Thomas tweets of, of rap lyrics or anything. It seemed like, holy crap, we finally got a quarterback here. Yeah, he changed his bio. Uh, say like, yeah, see you next year this time. We'll talk about it. 
But all right, let's wrap that segment up. It's been going on. And we will come back and get into our mock drafts. This is Inside Black and Gold. Steve's is wrong. Mine's right. As always. Yeah. The wrongness of mine can't even... I can't even delve into, honestly. It's a bold... It's a bold take. Anyway, keep it locked on Inside Black and Gold. We will be... And we're back on Inside Black and Gold Mock Draft Edition. Um, we we felt bad that our first round of mock drafts was was so early that we just had to do it again. A lot has changed. There's a new team at the top of the draft. The Saints now have defensive tackles on the roster. And I think our, our mock drafts reflect that. Because uh, I don't think there's a single... I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure there isn't a single defensive tackle pick in either of our mock drafts for the first three rounds. Which... If you had asked me that three weeks ago, I would have been like, what? But I think you have seen them make moves that make you feel a little less crazy at defensive tackle. Totally agree. I went into, again, this one going, yeah, defensive tackle was still a big need for me, but was surprised of how the whole board ended up playing out. And I had a lot of questions, obviously, about the selections ahead of me in round one. But with the PFF simulator, had no control over what happened and uh, just roll with it, obviously. Yeah. So we're just going to go through Steve's first and then and then we'll get to mine. Uh, both of these, we, we did it separately. But as I, you know, and so some of the picks, the PFF threw out there a little different. But yeah, we had the pro football focus simulator kind of give us the order of the first round draft picks. And then we make the Saints pick and then it continues, make the second round pick and the third round pick. One of these times we'll have to push it out a little farther, but it's just, I'm not going to pretend that I can tell you who the saints are going to pick in the fifth round of this draft. Like I don't even know half the names on the board at that point. So it would just be for fun if anything, but how did you feel this mock? Like what was your kind of, what was your mindset going into this mock draft? Uh, Right away again, like I said, I thought defensive tackle was still at the forefront. I want to continue to beef up. The D-line, there's still a need there. Running back, to me, wasn't something I thought of at all I'd be even dreaming of in round one. But when arguably a top five draft talent falls to you that far, I think I I couldn't help but pull the trigger on Bijan at at that position. But if you go through here, even in the mock draft uh, round one, I was like, what is Atlanta doing? They went quarterback again early on and and that one threw me off right away and I was like all right we're gonna have fun here yeah so I think the quarterbacks in this are gonna be interesting because I've been saying this for a while now I think CJ Stroud is the top quarterback I don't know if the Panthers agree with me but I think if you're trading up to number one overall it's hard I I just can't you can't sell me on a 510 quarterback you just can't do it especially at number one overall. Like if you were the Texans and you're sitting at number two and Stroud goes number one and you're like, yeah, okay, Bryce Young, we're going to see what happens. I just like, if I'm, if I made that big trade up, ugh, like I just, I don't know. I, I think that the track record of, of five, 10 quarterbacks in the NFL isn't great, but either way, Bryce Young goes number one here, followed <laughs> by Stroud of the Texans. And then you have kind of the Jalen Carter question of, does he fall at all? based on this off-the-field stuff. And he also, I don't know if he was distracted or whatever, he didn't really look that great in his workouts. And 
in some of his his pro day stuff. So, you know, who knows? Maybe he does drop a little bit in this draft. I don't think you would consider this a drop. I think Tyree Wilson is arguably, you know, you, if you're going quarterback one, two, and four, which is the case here with Anthony Richardson and the Colts, hmm. you know, you're either going at three or five if you're Jalen Carter. And so five is not like a, a, you know, a drop to me. But the Seahawks get a steal, in my opinion. Yeah, top tier. Like, obviously, a guy that could be number one overall if everybody wasn't so quarterback crazy. But it just really amazes me. I I don't know why the Detroit Lions aren't mentioned more in this QB race for anyone because I don't I don't know. I've never been a believer in Goff, and, and it just seems like the Lions and their – the folks around there seem to be, and I, I don't get that. I'd be, I'd be, I thought for sure they'd they'd want to target something in free agency to at least push Goff even further, and they they've done nothing. Yeah, I mean it's possible. I think uh, Daniel Jeremiah when I talked to him, he had him taking a quarterback with their second pick, um, okay. but at that point it was Anthony Richardson, and I think we've seen people fall in <laughs> love with Anthony Richardson too. Ridiculously fault. right. Uh, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised to see here if you're the if you're the Falcons is you might try to trade up to number four. If you really want Anthony Richardson and you because you might not feel like he will get past the Seahawks and the Lions and the Raiders, all of whom could draft a quarterback. And if you're the Falcons and Anthony Richardson makes a heck of a lot of sense for Arthur Smith's offense, where he basically treats the quarterback like a running back, who better than that guy? And so um, I think that's something that that I'd be on the lookout for is the Falcons trying to get up to four, because if you're the Colts and you're not sold on Anthony Richardson or Will Levis and you can just get a killing and then move down and get, you know, pieces. And then next year, come back in a much more QB heavy draft. I don't know. I think, I don't know if it's much more, but you think Atlanta be so willing to move on already from Ritter. He's third round pick. Yes. If you can, if, if you feel like these guys, one of these guys is your, is your future cornerstone quarterback. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I mean, you might still start Ritter this year. And hey, you know, if if Ritter ends up being the guy, great, you have two. You know, like I, I think in in the position you you don't get into the top ten very often, even when you're bad, right? Like, so if you have a chance to go get a guy, I think you could see it. Either way, we're gonna keep going. I know Zach Streif will be happy. Peter Skaronsky is ahead of Paris Johnson this time. I know in the last mock draft he gave you a hard time and you had to remind him that we didn't actually make these boards. Yeah, and then he made sure to let me know too that PFF sucks. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> and so, yeah, you have Will Levis going to the Falcons, Paris Johnson to the Eagles, Miles Murphy, Devin Witherspoon, Quentin Johnson. This is interesting to me. I don't think there's any way the Patriots pass on Jordan Addison if he's there at 14. You would think, right? I mean, you, you keep hearing a lot of whispers now about them maybe going after Odell, uh, also in the running for DeAndre Hopkins. So, yeah, the, the Pats definitely need wide receiver help for show. You got to get somebody. Kalaja Kansi goes, uh, that's pretty early. He goes to the Bucks. Yeah, that was a Jackson name Smith and Jigba. in the Saints range at that, that 29 pick. Yeah, I'm surprised to see him go that early. And then Brian Brzee goes at 24. I don't think, I think he flipped that. But either way, it's they're, they're off the board before the Saints get to him. Drew Sanders. And then, yeah, as you, you kind of spoiled this pick already, Bijan Robinson. So wh- why did you go with Bijan here? I think that's an unlikely decision if the Saints go with a running back. But hey. Who knows? I, I do too. The fact that though that this guy that, like I said, could arguably be a top five draft board, you know, talent has fallen to you 
this far. And it's an, it's still a position of need, even with the addition of Jamal Williams. I, I can argue that, you know, you still need the influx of new young talent and you don't know how long the Camara suspension is going to be, when it's going to come, what's going to happen there with him. But yeah, I, I, to me, as hard as it was, because you see two picks later, a guy like Osiris Torrens, where I wanted to, the interior of that the offensive line would be a great need, I, I would say, and I didn't get anybody, honestly. I didn't get a D lineman or an offensive lineman in my mock draft, but he was definitely someone that I considered, but the the explosiveness and the ability of what Bijan could bring to this Saints offense was just too damn enticing, and I know it was more of a luxury pick than really – you would say a a need or a wise pick at this point, but I I just think the talent is is way too much to be there at twenty nine overall. I just think the way the Saints value running back is just you would have to be, I mean like this if this was like a Saquon Barkley that's that's one thing. Uh, I just don't see them like they like they feel like they can get running backs in the mid round. Alvin Kamara was a third round pick, right? Yeah. Um, no, later on in the draft, you know, when I ended up making the yeah. pick too for in my third round, I was like, oh, look at all these running backs that are still here. And I was like, well, you're not going running back again, obviously. Right. Okay. So your, your pictures only went out through the first round. So I wrote out the rest here. Um, you know, I'll just kind of go through them. Mozzie Smith. That's an interesting one. He went number 37 to the Seahawks. Jameer Gibbs went right before the Saints, which is funny because in reality, I think, if you get to the second round, Jameer Gibbs is on the board. The Saints might take him. But in this mock draft, you already took Bijan Robinson. So right. there was a 0% chance you're taking Jameer Gibbs. And the Panthers apparently wanted Jameer Gibbs based on PFF. Who knows? But it, you went with Josh Downs, a wide receiver out of North Carolina. <laughs> Why was that? That's another one where I was like, you know what? I'm going nuts already. Taking the running back in round one. Let's get really kooky. Uh, getting a slot receiver, another toy for... Uh, Derek Carr in this offense to play with. Uh, love the speed. I know he's undersized, but the explosive abilities, I'm just in fantasy land thinking of how Carr and also like a Pete Carmichael Jr. would be able to take advantage of using him. And um, yeah, like I said, it was it went off the rails in the first round. So I was like, let's really go kooky here. With Mozzie, uh, that was my first round pick actually. And the uh, in my mock draft 1.0, yeah, but yeah, obviously they've changed their roster a little bit since then. So I think that uh, uh, an adjustment makes sense. Daywan Jones is an interesting one. I could see the Saints trying to bring him in. Darnell Washington is a guy I got in the third round of our first mock draft, and I think you know justifiably so. His stock has risen based on people got to see him at the combine and were like, "Holy crap!" Um, <laughs> and and so yeah, he he doesn't get past the Falcons here. Yeah, that um, was that was definitely one where I look back on things and kind of like, ooh, that kind of hurt. I might want to have taken Washington there over Downs. I don't think you you would go tight end in the second round either. I, I mean, but it's like you look at it and it's just interesting that he's now ahead of Luke Musgrave on this kind of pecking order, which wouldn't have been the case before. There's Kayshawn Booty going to the Cowboys. Guy can't jump. <laughs> and then we're on to round three. So we get to number 71. And this one surprised me. The Raiders get Hendon Hooker, and it's like you tilted, and we're like, I recognize that name. I'm going with him. Yeah, I, I figured looking at the talent pool that was up there that uh, Rick's provided me an outside corner. You can never have too many good cover guys kind of thing. And and that, the only problem is, you know, he really hasn't 
honestly played that much. I doesn't have that much experience, but I do like the size of the corner. And I think that he has decent speed uh, that would translate into the, into the NFL, but yeah, no, nothing that like this, this 2.0 mock draft isn't what I'm waving around all proud of. I definitely feel like everything, everything really went askew with getting Bijan in round one. And even though I was all like chest out proud of it to begin with, but there's just so many other things that I think I, that need to be addressed. Namely, like I said, that D line is still important. And I just didn't, I didn't get that at all. And I didn't get any, and I didn't get a guard for this offensive line, which hurt. Yeah. I think Sam Laporte is going to be an interesting one to watch. I think you could go tight end in the third round. And he's a guy who tested off the charts. I was basically a tight end factory. So that's, that's one that I would keep an eye on going down here. And just to be clear, I don't know if we said it out loud. And so for the actual podcast listeners, Steve took at number 71, Eli Ricks, cornerback out of Alabama, formerly of LSU. And this past season, I think LSU actively tanked his draft stock because he got <laughs> toasted in that game that the LSU actually beat Alabama. And he, he looked bad in that game. So, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I think his, his best game might have been his first game for Alabama this year, honestly. No, he's got talent. You know, here here is in here is the other one. So, I think not taking taking a running back already it doesn't really matter. Tajay Spears goes number ninety seven here. I think this is the first time you see him kind of climb up into the third round of these mocks. But I do think right. he he could very well go in the in the top three rounds. So here's the picks: twenty nine B. John Robinson, forty Josh Downs, seventy one Eli Ricks, and that is your three round mock draft from Mister Steve Geller. How do you feel about it? Uh, I, I thought that the PFF grades were a lot better than I thought I I had on it. I, I would obviously love to see a guy like Bijan in the Saints offense, but don't think that's realistic, and and don't feel like he, he would be around that late. It would if that were the case. Shoot, the Saints might be able to get a nice little hole back in some draft picks and move down just a little bit more. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I agree with you. So mine looks a little different than yours, but it'll still work. So yeah. it stayed the same at the top. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Tyree Wilson, Anthony Richardson. But where it changed in, in the mock draft for me is you can see Christian Gonzalez to the Seahawks, cornerback out of Oregon at number five. In your mock draft, it was Jalen Carter. As you can see, in this mock draft, he fell. So you got Will Anderson at number six to the Lions, Peter Skaronsky at number seven, and Zach Streep's going to be thrilled. Will Levis to the Falcons again. So, you know, that's a that's a popular, trendy pick is Will Levis to the Falcons at number eight. Then Paris Johnson at number nine. And then the Eagles, with the Saints pick at number 10, take Jalen Carter. That would be that would be hard to stomach if you're if, as as someone who knows where they got that pick, that they end up getting who uh, the player I would argue was the best player in this draft at number 10. A guy who could, if, if there was a team at the top that didn't need a quarterback Jalen Carter could be number one and they're getting him at number 10 because because of the off the field circumstances so the rich get richer in that respect but what do you what do you think about that I know you're no, the resident Eagles kind fan. Of am, I was just amused that he's actually tumbled that far even in a you know mock simulator kind of deal yeah I agree and I and I still I still feel like it's hard for me to believe he gets by the Falcons with the Georgia connection they're gonna you know Ryan Nielsen, and, right? But if they love Will Levis, they love Will Levis. Uh, and so 
that's the only way I think he gets past the Falcons is if they do take a quarterback. I, I didn't even realize that. You're, both our mocks have the Falcons taking Levis. Yeah. Huh. yeah. It's a trendy pick. This one's interesting to me too is Jackson Smith and Jigba goes to the Texans at number 12. And it seems early and it's definitely early. But the thing to remember is in this mock, the Texans also ended up with C.J. Stroud. And I think that it's an interesting, an interesting pick because – you know, you look at what Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase were able to do, kind of bringing that college connection to the pro level and how quickly they were able to to thrive. And it's because they had that comfort already coming in. And I think this is an interesting, like, I think you're going to see some more teams try that when they do take a quarterback and his wide receiver is right there. Why not? You know, if you're going to go after a wide receiver, go after him at 12. And uh, that's gonna that's an interesting one. I think it's gonna throw off the scale of the receivers if that does happen. No, I agree. It makes total sense because you you talk about that relationship being able to complete each other's sentences, kind of thing. Uh, that being on the same page, and if you have that rapport that was so great to that you you want to continue to work with somebody in the NFL, they can just take it to a new level. Obviously, what what Burrow's been able to do with Chase has that been ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's surprising what they were able to do together. It's surprising how quickly they were able to do it. And it's because they had three years in college where they had already, they basically already knew exactly what each other was going to do. And you just bring that to the NFL and it's another step. They also happen to be extremely prolific in college, which, you know, it's not like you're bringing in a guy who like caught like, like you're bringing in Derek Carr, Foster Morrow. And it's like, oh yeah, well, you know, how, how much can you expect? It's like, okay, Jamar Chase said 20 touchdowns this junior season at LSU or a sophomore season, rather. I think these five picks are interesting to me. You start at 19 with the Bucks, and they go with B. John Robinson, and I could see that happening. They moved on from Leonard Fournette. They signed, oh, oh, who'd they sign? Chase Edmonds. They signed Chase Edmonds. Not exactly a guy you're worried about. They have Keyshawn Vaughn. You know, I, I think that they could easily end up with B. John here. The only issue with that pick is I don't think the, the Bucks are ready to win right now. But if you're going for that one-year tank and you're hoping to come out with Caleb Williams next year, and you can also give him Bijan Robinson, a guy who's probably not going to tilt you toward wins as a rookie the way that some other guys might. I could see it happening. Anyway, next pick, Brian Brzee, a guy who I think if he gets to the Saints, you have to take. Kalijah Kansi goes at number 22 to the Ravens. And then Jordan Addison goes at number 23. You know, these are two premier defensive tackles that you're not that you don't have a chance at. And that right. and I think changes the equation for the Saints a little bit. Yeah, I was really surprised how mine ended up falling to where none of those big D linemen, those interior dudes were around for me. And it kind of, it, it did throw me off. So first tight end off the board here, Dalton Kincaid to the Cowboys at 26. I think that's a, that's a reasonable pick. They, they moved on from Dalton Schultz and they need, they need somebody in there. I could see it being him. You and uh, if you look one, at number one, Dalton uh, with another. Yes. And if you look at number 28, Josh Downs goes, to the Bengals. So if you're wondering whether you got good value in your pick in the second round, there's some people out there who think Josh Downs could be a first round pick. So uh, I didn't have a chance at him. So uh, look at it that way. But the guy I did have a chance at and the guy I was very tempted to take in my last mock draft, but I took Anthony Richardson because he fell to me. The only other person I considered here was Mozzie Smith, but I, I don't think defensive tackle is as much of a need now that I'm going to over value that position in my grades the way that I would prior to signing Colin Saunders 
and prior to signing Nathan Shepard and prior to signing Malcolm Roach back on a new deal. So I'm going Osiris Torrance. I think he's the best player available. He's the top interior offensive lineman in this draft. And you now have premium depth behind either Cesar Ruiz or Andres Pete. You can know you cannot go into a season expecting Andres Pete to be healthy. I think you're going to keep him around. But now if he if and when he goes down, you have a top tier guard who you're projecting as the, the kind of the starter of the future. And so when you're without Andres Pete, you might you might honestly be getting an upgrade for that period of time when you put him in there. So I think it's a no-brainer if this is the way the draft board goes and you end up with Osiris Torrance and you feel good about it. That said, fans will go ballistic if the Saints take another interior lineman in the first round. And I'm just going to tell you you're wrong because this would be a great pick for them. Yeah, uh, definitely known as one of those, another road grader from for the big boys up front, which is a, a definite need uh, for the team. You know, the, the best part about this, Jeff, is the fact that you know, we go through these. I like to see, you know, what ends up in that pool of picks for me, what kind of, you know, guys are around when you're picking too, because you start to see a few names that are consistently picking up in that range where you get that, I guess you call it the cone of of, of picks, the, the cone of talent yeah. you're looking at that could end up filling in uh, some kind of need at pick number 29. Because I think that you can get m- sort of, you know, hone in that dartboard pick with your first round selection. But yeah, doing doing anything longer, we're really uh, having shots in the dark in these later rounds. Obviously, the next the next couple rounds. But a first round pick, even at pick number twenty nine, you kind of get an idea of really what could be there. Yeah, I mean, I think you can project the second round pretty well. But yeah, once you get to the third round, it's all it's all guess. <laughs> so yeah, Michael Mayer coming off the first pick of the second round here, tight end out of Notre Dame. I like that pick for the Steelers. Drew Sanders, linebacker, goes to the Cardinals at 34. Uh, You know, these are interesting picks. The Raiders pick up Jameer Gibbs, running back out of Alabama. So they would be effectively pairing two Alabama running backs with Josh Jacobs and Jameer Gibbs. They have Josh Jacobs on a franchise tag. So, you know, maybe this is like the, hey, we're bringing in, they're bringing in this guy and it spells like, okay, we can move on from Josh next season. Either way, that's an interesting pick to me. Darnell Washington goes at 39. So even if I wanted Darnell Washington again, I could not get him. And I'm not taking him in the first round. And to be fa- to be honest, I wasn't going to take him in the second round. <laughs> I liked him in the third round. I don't like him in the second round. I think there's too many tight ends on the board to take a tight end in the second round. But this is kind of a pick out of left field for me. But you know, there's a reason I made all of these picks, or at least there is a subplot that I'm gonna get that I'm gonna mention at the end. And so I went with us Isaiah Foskey, the edge rusher out of Notre Dame. And I know. The defensive interior is something I've talked a lot about, but I also think you need to get more athletic at the edge rusher position. And, you know, you have a new defensive line coach. I think he's going to want to bring in his guys. And I think this is just a high caliber pick. You know, he's a team leader. He was at the senior bowl. He's very athletic. He can kind of, you know, who knows how much longer Cam has in him. And so this is a guy who you can kind of put in a rotation and I don't know what your expectations are with Peyton Turner, but this is going to push him at the very least. And I, I like the pick at 40. I, I like a guy like Foskey. And I think you can never have too many edge rushers, in my opinion. No, you need you need somebody definitely to push Peyton Turner. So, so I like that move there for sure, just because 
injuries are one thing, Jeff, but when we're seeing healthy scratches during the season, that's that's going to make me be a lot more concerned about his development. I'm not writing him off yet, but this is definitely a huge season for Peyton Turner. And yeah, I'd, I love the idea of bringing in um, another body to challenge him there. I felt like Davenport was that dude, but he's not around anymore. A person like Foskey, though, like you mentioned, too, with Cam Jordan's not getting any younger either. So beefing up that D-line, still huge, still important, obviously. Yeah, and if you need to get any information on Isaiah, Brian Kelly's right up the road. You know, he, <laughs> he obviously coached him in college. So I think that that's a, uh, that is a mine of information that you could get to pretty easily. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like the pick, personally. I, I As I should, I made it. Jalen Hyatt, wide receiver at the Tennessee. B.J. Ojolari was one who I was considering. Uh, he ended up going 43 to the Jets, obviously, edge rusher at LSU. But I think he's more of an outside linebacker than a than a, than a defensive end. I don't think he has the bulk. And I watch, I was watching him at the Senior Bowl, and like he was getting around people. Like He's got speed rushes, but he was kind of getting bullied. I don't think he's big enough to be a traditional 4-3 defensive end. Um, and I think that's the one difference when I was trying to make a decision between BJ and Isaiah is I think Isaiah has the size and strength necessary, and I'm not sure BJ has it. But I mean, like in a three four, I think he could he could eat. And you know, that's just kind of when you go through a draft, it's not always about who the best player is. It's about who is the best player that fits what you're trying to do. And I think that's that's a good uh, a good difference there in terms of like who might take BJ versus who might take Isaiah. Moving on, Daywan Jones, interesting pick again. It's another draft where Luke Musgrave went after Darnell Washington, so I think that kind of that tier has been reset. Sam Laporta, you know, so a lot of tight ends going in the second round. So you're going down. Derek Hall at number 61. I've, I've seen a, him be a popular pick. And then the Eagles get Siaki Ika at 62. And when I passed on defensive tackle in the second round, I was kind of hoping that Ika might drop to me in the third round because I do want him but my grade's not high enough to take him over a guy like Isaiah. So, you know, I think this is a frustration for me here. And so I think it kind of sent me tilting a little bit in terms of what my next pick is, because I just don't see another interior defensive lineman on the board that I like in the third round. Who but knows? Anyway. You'd be on the phone with the Bears trying to jump ahead of the Eagles and try and get him. Yeah, I, mean, I, I could see that happening, right? Like if you're the Saints and you really want this guy – and he's kind of the last defensive tackle on that tier. Yeah. I could see them trying to move up in the third round. And I would and I would advocate for, for it. I think that's where you want to see trades. Moving up in the first round is tough. It's so expensive. And uh, you you have to nail it. Whereas in the third round, it's not going to cost as much. And it's really just a way to make sure you're not guessing. And so I could see that happening. I think that's a good point. Going to the third round, Zach Charbonnet. So the running backs are starting to come off. That's number 67 of the Broncos. And so I get to a guy that I really, really like a lot. I don't know if the Saints are going to go this route, but if they do, this is a pick I would love for them to make. It is Nathaniel Dell. His nickname is Tank. So you can go Tank Dell, number 71, wide receiver out of Houston. I watched him at the Senior Bowl a lot, and he was just not being guarded by anybody. Like, And when I say that, I mean, people were trying to guard him. They were not able to do it. Like, he was just getting crazy separation. He's just, you know, he's not... He reminds me a little bit of Amon Ross St. Brown, another guy I really liked coming out of USC, where, you know, he's not physically imposing. 
He's not the greatest athlete in the world. He's not the fastest guy, but he just understands how to get open, understands how to use his body and make catches. And I think if you were able to do this and you bring him in and you have a premier slot receiver, you have Chris Olave, you have Rashid Shahid, and then, you know, you see what you get out of Mike Thomas. And if you get a all pro type season out of Mike Thomas, fantastic. That's a win for you. It's a good problem to have. If you don't and you have to move on from Mike Thomas this year, you go forward feeling very, very good about your wide receiver depth. And so that's why I could see them going wide receiver here. Yeah, I definitely think the team will address wide receiver in the draft. It's it's more of a need, I think, than folks might think just because you address the position in round one last year doesn't mean you're done building, I think, especially when there are still questions. Obviously, great, Michael Thomas is back, but there is still questions of obviously what does he contribute? What is he able to contribute what is he healthy enough to contribute kind of thing? So I definitely still see wide receiver as a, a need in this draft because um, what they had in guys, we, we've seen what, you know, your Marquez Callaways have done kind of thing. And, and adding more young top, you know, upper tier guys that you in the get, get in the second or third round kind of deal is more important, I think, for building depth on this roster for the long haul. Sorry, I have two cats fighting in the corner of the room. Um, no, I agree with a lot of that. Um, so if you keep going, Eli Ricks goes at 74. So if you were wondering what your value was like with that third-round pick in that in your mock draft, he goes only a few picks later in this mock draft. So, you know, you weren't reaching, per se. Um, it's really just a question of whether the Saints would, would add another cornerback, which feels like too much of a luxury at this point, because considering you did it last year in the second round. Yeah, like um, I said, my 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 whole thing went cuckoo bananas after that first round, and when I'm seeing the, those running back names pop up in the third round, even of your there you go, boom, a chain. That's another dude, great value here in the third round. And I spent, obviously, you know, you see that spending a first round pick on a running back in round one on a Bijan, where there's no denying the talent there, but it's like there's so many you can get so much va- better value later down the line, kind of thing. I agree. Um, and so these are this is an interesting round, in my opinion, in terms of the quarterback. So you, you were asking about the Lions. They didn't go for a quarterback they in the go, third okay. round, but they end up bringing in Hendon Hooker here. And I could see that being something they go. I think someone's going to draft Hendon Hooker in the third round. And it's going to be he's going to be a guy that you try to develop. Um, and so that would make sense. If you're if you do want you, you are comfortable with Jared Goff. You do like Jared Goff. You can bring in a Hendon Hooker and have him sit on the bench and learn and maybe two, three years from now when you're ready to move on from Jared Goff, he's ready. So I think that's a good pick. The other interesting one, the next pick, number 82, the Bucks go with Tanner McKee. Man. And this would be kind of fascinating because he would go into a, a room with Kyle Trask and Baker Mayfield, and any of them could start. <laughs> but the Bucks might also pick the worst option just because they want to lose. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand a lot of their signings and what direction they think they're going right now. Nope. Uh, well, I think they're going down. I think they think they're going down, and they should be. Uh, okay, Jacqueline Roy, the LSU guy, goes to the Dolphins at number 84, defensive tackle. Um, Jordan Battle, safety out of Alabama, another guy I liked, is gone. This is one that, that threw me for a loop. And number 89, the Giants take Trey Palmer. Yeah. And I like Trey Palmer. I was watching him. Another guy at the Senior Bowl who I was watching, and like he's as fast as they come, doesn't have great hands. but like, And I was like, man, maybe the Saints can grab him as a UDFA. 
And for some reason, he's now flying up to the third round, which, you know, as a, as a, someone who watches the Giants, I, I think it's like they do like LSU receivers, and he is a former LSU receiver. He obviously is listed on here as Nebraska, but that was only his last season where he, he caught, I think, 70 passes, 1,000 yards. Um, and so maybe that's what this is. The Giants have a tendency to go after LSU wide receivers, and, and that's what it is. But that surprised me a lot to even see him – in the third round at all. No, definitely a name. I always remember, you know, Coach O for whatever saying, Trey Palmer. Trey Palmer. Yeah, he's got the wheels. Faster than a, I don't know, what's what's the Cajun term for? Uh, know, June bug or something, I don't know. Faster, faster than a June bug. Anyway, all right. Luke Schoonmaker, tight end out of Michigan. He's interesting to me. Panthers get him at 93. You know, very athletic. Surprisingly athletic for a guy named Schoonmaker. Um. <laughs> Just sounds like a slow name, uh, but he's him and Sam Laporta, I think, are very interesting. The Eagles grabbed Dorian Williams at 94, kid at linebacker at a two lane, who I really like. That's surprising and to he, see him that high, huh? No, I think third round is good for him. I think that's about okay. where you would see him go, maybe fourth round. But um, no, he he impressed a lot of people, I think, in the combine, and, and he ran a four five forty, which that's uh, it's pretty good. And then here here you go, just like in your draft, the comp picks show up. And the 49ers end up with Tajay Spears. I think this is kind of like the 49ers take a take a running back in the third or fourth round every year. Sometimes in both. They just do it. Last year it was Ty Davis Price. The year before that, they took Trey Sermon and Eli Mitchell. And then Trey Sermon, who they took in the third round, they cut. Like it's just for whatever reason. It's like they have this like quota that they have to take a shot at a running back every year. And in this draft, it's Tajay Spears. And that's a bummer to me because you see it getting to pick 100, and you're like, man, if, you know, right. Saints might be able to nab him in the fourth round, but he, he is not available. And so that's the end of my mock draft. As you can see, number 29, Osiris Torrance, number 40, Isaiah Foskey, edge rusher out of Notre Dame, number 71, Nathaniel Tank Dell, wide receiver out of Houston. And I see you're, I, I, you know, I was tempted to take Mozzie Smith at number 29. I was tempted to take BJ Ojolari and, or Luke Musgrave, the tight end out of Oregon State at number 40. And I was tempted to take Hendon Hooker in the third round. I passed on him. Uh, and then Chris Smith out of Georgia is still a guy I like. I've, I've liked him the entire time. But Ojolari was a senior bowl guy too or no? Yes. And if you hadn't noticed, that is the main difference, right? So in the first, the first mock draft, I ended up taking Anthony Richardson, Siaki Ika, and Darnell Washington. None of those guys were at the senior bowl. And at the time, I was like, man, I'm going to get all these wrong. Because the Saints just love senior bowl guys. Like every free agent they're bringing in, Lonnie Johnson, Jonathan Abram, both senior bowl guys, uh, Nathaniel Shepard, Colin Saunders, both senior bowl guys. Like every pass rusher on the Saints right now went to the senior bowl. Like it's not a coincidence. That's not they, at all, they right? Value it highly. And so this time around, I went with all three senior bowl guys <laughs> no, Osiris uh, Torrance, Isaiah Foskey, and Tank Dell. All at the Senior Bowl. Oh man, you are, you are like the Senior Bowl special. Yep, that's uh, yep, 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 yep. not a bad thing to be. <laughs> not if you want to get them right. Right. <laughs> if like you could make an argument that those are not the best picks, and they could have picked better people, but if you want to, pr if you want to get the picks right, you're taking dudes from the Senior Bowl. Yeah, I mean, you one, you, you better have at least one in there. I was going to say the likelihood at least one of those three they're taking. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's the end of my mock draft. So if you remember, so so obviously I had Osiris Torrance, 
guard out of Florida, Isaiah Foskey, edge rusher at Notre Dame, Tank Dell, wide receiver at Houston. Steve took Bijan Robinson, the running back out of Texas. Josh Downs, the running back. I'm sorry, the wide receiver out of North Carolina, and Eli Ricks, the cornerback out of Alabama. I like my I like my picks better. Yeah, I, I, like I said, mine was so funky and weird. I was tempted to redo it, and then I was like, you know what? Just stick with it. Yeah, I mean, like I the way I look at mock drafts, it's like. You know, I, I joke about being right, but it's like I think it's less about being right and more just kind of like going down like rabbit holes of like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Who's on the board right now? Who would I take and why? You know, like that's why I like doing the the different boards between yours and mine because like we're making different decisions. Every time the board comes up, it's a little different, and you might like if Anthony Richardson is there at twenty nine, I might still take him. I get that you signed Derek Carr, but you know, it's it's too much of a value. He might not like it, but this is my mock draft, not Derek's. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, he just came from a situation, obviously, where it was all talked about wanting to feel loved and wanted and everything. And that'd be kind of shitty if you, you come in and run away first round of the draft, Saints are taking a quarterback. <laughs> that'd be pretty rough. Beat him. Right. Don't no, let I him be you. better than you. Anyway. That's it. That's the second mock draft. We'll definitely do at least one more before the draft comes around. Um, but I, I think that we've we've adjusted a good bit in terms of who's been brought in. And these are the answers to today's trivia question. Yeah, and I, f- overall, in general, in free agency, you got to be impressed with what the Saints have been able to do. Everybody was all worried about, once again, another season of being in cap hell. And now you look at their salary cap numbers and I believe they're got the most uh, top five or t- at least top 10 in amount of space they have to sign people right now. I'm sorry. Was that a question? I, uh, I was looking at the- I just know the saints, you know, obviously all after worrying about their salary cap room, suddenly now where, where we stand, I, they're thinking they're in the top five or at least top 10 of, of salary cap available space. Yeah. They're in the middle of the pack. And, and I mean, like, the, I don't, I don't think anyone locally was super concerned about their ability to create cap space. Like we all knew what was going to happen and we were there again. I do think that like, there's this idea that they have 14 million, they have to spend 14 million. I don't think they do. Like they, they do have to sign their draft class, right. but like, if you have money against the cap available to you, then you get that next year. Like, it, it's credited to you toward next season. So like, it wouldn't be the end of the world if they just I think you do want to have some money in reserve so if someone goes down in training camp and all of a sudden you have to go sign somebody you have it right so I wouldn't be surprised if they're done making moves at least like significantly but all right but that's let's wrap this up we've been on here forever and uh, we still want to do a mailbag so let's wrap that segment up those were our mock drafts hopefully you 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 have already torn them apart because they will both be wrong And uh, we're going to come back and hit the mailbag, a real quick one, since we're already almost 90 minutes into this thing. We will be right back. And we're back. I'm inside Black and Gold. I have gone deep into the mailbag and found all of your... You know, people have been really nice to us today. I don't know why. I mean, we, we, we need to find more trolls so I can get mad. Good. Half podcasts aren't fun podcasts. Come on. 
I think it's a lovely day out and people are in a good mood of what's been going on lately with the black and gold. So maybe all the trolls are in hiding. We even have JD1 here. He says, I'm a Raiders spy. And he's not even saying anything mean. Like, why are you here? He's just like, hey, guys, I'm spying out. No big deal. And if you're telling me you're a spy, you're not really doing a good spy job. The spy craft there is weak. So Saint for Life says, the oil has to be addressed. The last two years have been a disaster. Guard needs to be looked at. I mean, like, I don't necessarily... You look at the people, they look at the players on the roster, and you have a first-round pick at right tackle. You have a second-round pick, which was your first pick of that draft at center. You have a first-round pick at right guard. You have a first-round pick at left guard. And you have a first-round pick at left tackle in Trevor Penning, and you just didn't see him on the field because he got hurt. Andres Pete, you just don't see enough on the field because he gets hurt. Cesar Ruiz, I thought, played really well. Eric McCoy has been very consistent. And Ryan Ramchick, while I don't think he had his best season, was consistent. So, like, I think you have the pieces there, but you don't have is the depth. And that's why I agree with you. That's why I went with Osiris Torrance at number 29 because I am tired. You know, I like Calvin Throckmorton. They brought him back. He's a quality depth player. Storm Norton seems great. But I don't want to see them starting. I really don't. And you need to have someone backing these players up that you can put on the field and not get annihilated every time you try to drop back to pass. So I agree with you. I think guard is something you do have to like, I think when you're talking about needs versus wants, I think I, a quality young guard is among the needs. Yeah. You mentioned obviously health being an issue. It's like, when's the starting five offensive line together? What's been more together, Jeff, the starting offensive line, for the Saints or the starting five for the Pelicans? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's just uh, why are you trying to bring me down, man? I don't want to talk about the Pelicans. No, no, I'm just saying with the, the the offensive line was a frustrating thing. Obviously, guys not being able to stay on the field, and yeah, you you say the next man up mentality, and the guys behind your starters are obviously not as good, and that got tested. I feel a lot more often, a lot more than anybody would have liked last year but i feel like that's so, that seems to be always the the case with the o-line man those guys you know are just it hurt yeah it's, 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 like a rough it's not religion. you know like we can get mad at teron armstead and say he's injury prone we can yeah. get mad at andres pete and say right. he's injury prone they are but that's part of the reason you moved on from teron uh, and it's like but that's just what happens i mean offensive linemen get hurt and it's like it's hard to prevent it because a lot of times you're talking about injuries where they're getting backed up and then someone just rolls up onto their leg and it's like what do you do right? Trevor Penning was blocking on a, on a run play and all of a sudden his foot just blew up on him and just like, you can't, there's only so much you can do. Right. But yeah, it, it is frustrating. And during the 2021 season, you played half the season without either starting tackle T- tough to win games that way. So you need not only starting caliber players, you need replacement level depth. And right now they don't have replacement level depth. Um, and it, so I, and it, I agree with this take is like, yeah. they do need to do something. There's even still questions, obviously, at tackle just because what's going on with Trevor Penning? You know, we, we hopefully he comes back from another, you know, foot injury and that he's going to need surgery on. Well, I mean, I don't think there's any questions as to whether he'll be the starter. I think it's just. No, it, it's unfortunate, though, that you've you, all you know already of him is more is more injury than anything else. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he played well when he was in there. So I think that gives you that gives you some positive momentum where, you know, last year you just weren't sure what to expect. 
and so you were working in behind James Hurst. And I think this year, assuming you continue, you keep James Hurst on the roster, I think the goal will be for Trevor to start. You mentioned Hurst. I think it might, and it might sound crazy or whatever, but I definitely think he's one of those unsung heroes from last season. Like he really gave you a lot of valuable snaps when you, you really had nothing going on there because of, you know, Penning being banged up. See, I put him in the same category as Calvin Throckmorton where like, you know, you can't get mad at him because the expectations yeah. are so much lower than they would be for a Trevor Penning. And I don't think he, like, I think he played well relative to his expectations, but the expectations were not very high. And you need to have a higher ceiling there. And I think especially in the run game, he didn't do enough. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's somewhere where I think you can get really a lot more nasty with Trevor out there. So, you know, I, like I like I said, I, like I think you, you've, you've invested the draft capital. You just got to see it on the field. Here's Louise Lockett says, hopefully we don't have to do those depressing shows after demoralizing Saints losses anymore. And, you know, I'm, 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 I'm still going to be doing depressing, depressing shows either way. I'm, I'm a, I'm a depressing kind of guy. No, we're going to be in, you know, all high spirits after that week one victory over Andy Dalton and the Panthers. Right. Austin Klaska says, I'm excited about Jonathan Abram. Great box safety, but makes too many mental errors. However, he won't be on the field for us a lot. So he should be in a position to succeed. And yeah, I think that's why, you know, if I, if they were signing Jonathan Abram to be the starting strong or free safety, then I would feel differently about the signing. In this case, you are bringing in a talented player who has warts, but you are only going to use him in situations where it benefits you. you. You don't have to put him in positions where he might struggle because you do have Marcus May and Tyron Matthew, assuming they're both healthy and out there. So like, I think it's just a position of strength now where, yeah, you do have a very good tackler in Jonathan Abram. You do have a guy who can get downhill and you can maybe use in pass rushing nickel sets, right? Dime sets. You can have cover a tight end across the middle of the field. It's not a, it's not an assignment. A lot of cornerbacks and safeties want to take on. And so you do have a guy who can do it. And so I think it's a quality signing. Again, if he was the starter, it would be a different story, but in the role they're going to have him in, I, I agree, Austin. I think it's a good, a good addition. Right there with you too, about the, he's not our starter, but a great piece that you can rely on in a rotational situation. Rotational. All right. <laughs> and, and I agree with this too, is he definitely does have a type. Dennis Allen does have a type, and it's very much players who can play multiple positions. They they call it multi, being multiple. And, like, one of the main reasons you wanted to pair Marcus May and Tyron Matthew is because you can – either of them can play either position. And I almost I, – I, I still struggle to see that vision because I don't think Marcus May is a good enough deep safety. I don't think he can cover well enough to truly be multiple, but – um, that's still the, the idea. And that's why you bring in guys like Lonnie Johnson and Jonathan Abram. Here's one other question. The saints have a good amount of cap space left. If you were in Mickey Loomis's shoes, who would be someone you'd be looking to sign? Um, I did see on Twitter that the Saints signed, re-signed Isaac Yadam, just a, another kind of special teams depth guy. I don't know. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's a ton that you're trying to do here in terms of like, you might bring in someone late. You might bring in someone after the draft. But I'm not I'm not falling over myself trying to sign another free agent right now. Yeah, there's nothing that um at least that I can think of off the top of my head 
uh, name-wise position. I'm still looking, though, at that D-line, whether, you know, come the draft for sure and definitely in free agency. I'm still, uh, you know, peddling around there. It'll be interesting. We haven't seen anything happen with Kentavious Street, Jeff, but I I think we both fully expect maybe when things even settle down more that he kind of takes – that one-year veteran deal with, you know, Ryan Nielsen and Atlanta kind of deal. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, the longer it goes on, the longer you you imagine he could potentially come back. Like, I think sure. he, he did like it here. Um, right. So, we'll see. But moving on, Smoke <laughs> says he hopes the Saints get on hard knocks. It's possible now that Dennis Allen is the head coach, but I still find it – I think it's highly unlikely that the Saints ever approve of going on hard knocks. Well, I saw the one, too, for this year. One of the teams in the running are the New York Jets, and you know they're going to want that clown show on TV with Brett Favre when that, Brett Favre, when Aaron Rodgers, when that deal out gets done. I know. I can't believe I did it again. You've done it so many times. They are one now. They are the same to me. They are the same. Austin says he would have picked Darnell Washington in the second round. I just – I can't co-sign drafting a tight end in the second round. It just – it's really difficult for me in terms of the the impact they're going to have and the value you can get later. It just does not make sense to me, but I like Darnell Washington. Like if he gets to them in the third round, no brainer to me. I just uh, think the names on the board at, at 40 are going to be way too good to, to settle for a tight end that when you, when you just paid Juwan Johnson and you feel comfortable with Adam Troutman as your blocking tight end, I will say, though, with that, with them bringing in Forster Morrow, and obviously unfortunate news for him, but it clearly a sign that this team is still looking for uh, some kind of upgrade at the tight end position. No, I, I mean, I don't think it's an upgrade. I think you just, you're bringing another body. Yeah, I mean, like, last year, this time, this time last year, they had Nick Vanette, right? right? Like, I think that's the type of body you're trying to bring in because you just, you know, it's too tight end. Like, you need you need players to go through drills. Right. <laughs> like it's tough to make it with that number of bodies. Like I think you do need one more. Hopefully, um, hopefully the ridiculousness of even trying to call Taysom Hill a tight end at least ends. Yeah, I don't think I mean they they might still list him at that position and in terms of fantasy football. I hope they do. But yeah, I mean it, he's not a guy you're really dealing with a tight end. Don Tomasino says Kincaid reminds me of Shockey, Jeremy Shockey. And I don't know if you're talking about the Saints version of Jeremy Shockey or the Giants version of Jeremy Shockey. I could see it. You know, Jeremy Shockey is fascinating when you go look back. I remember vividly, he's the reason that the NFL made it so when someone's like helmet pops off, you have to stop. Like if if the ball carrier loses his helmet, the play's dead. Because I remember he would constantly have his helmet fly off. Like it happened at least three or four times when he had the ball and he wouldn't stop. He would just keep trying to plow into people with no helmet on. It was like... He could die. I mean, <laughs> he was a crazy person. Uh, and I don't know if Dalton Kincaid has that type of, of mean streak in him, but we'll never know because you can't do that anymore. He ruined it. No, you mentioned that's definitely funny. That I, I definitely think of Shockey running around like, you know, with no helmet on and not even a care in the world that he could get like completely just murdered. dead. He could right. die. Like if no one was wearing helmets, that's one thing. <laughs> Everyone else is. <laughs> Don Thomasino also says they should draft BJ and use him like Caden Ellis. I mean, if you're going to like, I, I get it. I, I understand what you're trying to say here, but like you are a three, four, you're not a three, four team. You're a four, three team. 
And Caden Ellis was a Sam linebacker who played well and got up the field, but you're not going to draft BJ who was a pass rusher by trade and say, now you're a, now you're an inside linebacker. No, like he's an outside linebacker, I think. Uh, and he could be a really good one, but he's the saints aren't going to draft him because they don't use outside linebackers. It's not their defense. Now that could change, but I highly doubt it. Anyway. That's a guy that uh, will definitely be curious to see how Ellis fits in his new surroundings this year because, man, that was just a big-time black and gold developmental piece that you feel is just starting to hit his stride. And unfortunately, now that's going to be in Atlanta. See, I, I do disagree with that slightly. And it's because he's 27 years old. It's not like you lost a 23-year-old that you drafted four years ago and he's and he's like just blossoming before your eyes. Like, if you weren't going to start him this year or next year, are you going to wait until, you know, are you going to are you going to sit there and then all of a sudden you're, you give a 30-year-old linebacker who's starting for the first? Like, that's the issue to me. If he was 23, I think you could have probably justified a bigger contract for him. Being 27 and not having a route to a starting job is tough. So I don't I don't have an issue with it. Like, if they could have kept him on a on a very very reasonable deal, that's one thing. I don't have any qualms about losing him for the deal he left on because you were never going to give him that. The deal, I totally agree with you. I guess the the big stinger is the fact that it's Atlanta. Oh yeah, sure, right. But that like the second you lost Ryan Nielsen to Atlanta, you knew this was going to happen. We've These talked about it with names, right? Like we've talked about it so many times on this podcast that I'm glad it did happen so that I can say we were right. Told you so. It right. Was, you know, there's like an inevitability. Um. Here's Mario. He points out. So we talked about Foster Morrow and the, the got diagnosed with cancer. Um, I know. I think he's referring to Nick Fairley here. He's, he had a heart thing. I want to say. Yeah, I definitely remember. It was an unfortunate medical issue for him, and he was someone that brought a lot of that that fire to the D line, man. And unfortunately, yeah, his career got cut way too short. Austin is a fan of mine, Nathaniel Delpick. And I think everyone will be a fan of that pick if it's made once they see him on the field because he is a fun guy to watch. Um, and I think like he's just, you know, when you go to Houston and you're in the American Athletic Conference and you tend to get overlooked. And I think, but I think he he's every he's every bit of legit. But all right, let's those are all the ones that had stars, stars next to, but let's see, there's gonna be a few more here. Mastermind <laughs> says, do we select a defensive lineman or best available for pick number 29? Well, as you saw, neither one of us took a defensive lineman at number 29 in our mock drafts. I think because you, I think if you feel comfortable, you were able to bring in two quality defensive tackles that you, that it just kind of gives you the the luxury of being able to say, if there is a, there's a player here that we really like, we are not going to draft a defensive tackle just because we're desperate for defensive tackles. And I think that's where you want to be when you're in the draft. You never want to be in a situation where you, there's someone you really like and you want to draft them, but you're like, man, we just have to fill a hole here. We don't have a choice. That's just like, that's how, that's not the way good teams draft. And so like, again, it's, I went with Osiris Torrance and I feel really good about that pick. Steve went with Bijan Robinson and it's like, okay, you're drafting at the top of those positions. And I always have advocated for like, if you're kind of mixed in terms of where you're value, valuing one position or another, I've always felt like if you have an opportunity to, to take the top graded player on, at a position. So if you're talking about running back, if you're talking about guard, are you getting the best guard in the draft? Because if so, I value that a little higher than 
am I getting the fifth best edge rusher? Am I getting the seventh best quarterback? Right. And that's why like, I, I'm, I don't think they're going to take Bijan Robinson, but I think the logic makes sense if you do at that point in the draft, because you're still getting the number one running back on the board. Yeah. Like I said, it was one of those, it was hard to pull the trigger, but in the end, I, I felt that for the reason I feel like just because he's a running back, he's not a top 10 pick, top five pick shoot. Um, and for the number 29 overall uh, in a position where you're looking to get younger, get more dynamic, think it's someone that just could add a lot of value to the offense, even though there are so many running backs that are available in this draft, I feel like. That's, that's, that's a fact, actually. There, there are so many running backs that you look at tight end and, and running back, I feel like it's just chock full those early rounds of guys you can grab. Yeah, as Danny T04 says, are the Saints going to pick up Ruiz's fifth-year option? I mean, you're bringing him back on a new deal one way or the other. The question is just how you're doing it. So it's it's expensive. Like, you're not getting a great discount with that fifth-year option if you pick it up. But you can restructure it. That's what they did with Marshawn Lattimore when they picked his up is they signed him to the fifth-year option, and then they restructured that, and the Saints love to restructure deals. So I could see them doing it. I could also see them just trying to try, trying to hammer out an extension with him off the fourth year if it makes more financial sense. But one way or another, you're bringing him back because I think he really stood out last year. And uh, you want I, I think you're, you're feeling very comfortable with him this time around as opposed to going into year three where he had a lot to prove. Yeah, it was definitely uh, one of those positive years for Weez. I know a lot of folks were big time down on him, man, to start the year. And we kind of, I think, laughed about it. It's like, yeah, you know, it's funny what happens when you're brought in during a COVID uh, lacking season, you know, when it came to workouts and uh, how much time you got to spend with the team and now getting a full training camp and full taste of getting acclimated to life in the NFL, you started to see a different Ruiz. And yeah, I, I would expect obviously even another step this year. Okay, so this is one more, and then I think we can wrap it up. Danny Teo four, and I think, and I, I like this comment because I think it's interesting, and I think it's actually backwards. It says Saints are drafting defense in the first round. Come on, man, this is Da laughing, crying emoji, laughing, crying emoji, and I understand why you're saying this, but think about how the drafts have gone with Sean Payton versus last year with Dennis Allen, right? Dennis Allen, yes, he's a defensive coach, but they went offense-offense in the first round last year. They traded up to go get a wide receiver. But I think, and I think it's actually the opposite of what you're thinking. Sean Payton was always, a, you would always see defense, 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 offensive line. And it was more about, he felt like he could find wide receivers in the mid to late rounds in the UDFA pool. He felt like he could find running backs in the third round, fourth round, fifth round, Right. And what he wasn't as sure he could do was find a diamond in the rough defensive end and develop him because that's just not where he his forte was. And I think now you have Dennis Allen and that is flipped where I think you're going to end up seeing more top end picks spent on offensive players because he feels comfortable finding that diamond in the rough edge rusher and bringing him in. So like I actually think this is in reverse of like now that you do have a defensive head coach he's going to pick more premium offensive players 
because he knows that he can juice the most out of the defense regardless of where you're using those picks. Or like last year, that diamond in the rough cornerback, Alante Taylor. Right, right. And so you'll see, you know, second, third round, fourth round, that's where he'll try to find his guys. Whereas at the first round where you're getting kind of those blue chip prospects, you're going to give, you're like, oh, Pete, Pete, you want, you want Chris Olave? We're going to go get you Chris Olave. You need a left tackle? We're going to go get you a left tackle. You want a running back? We're going to go get him. I don't think it's going to happen, but either way. I, like, I think that's the logic I would use if you're trying to sell me on B. John Robinson at 29. Oh, I'm, I'm still saying, though, even in the first two days of the draft, I still think you could say the Saints will get a running back. I could see a third round or second round selection. It's possible. I, I, I would guess fourth. And I would guess you're going mid-tier like, like an Evan Hall. I just don't think, you know, you're just spending so much at the position right now that I, I find it hard to believe. But if, I mean, it's really just a question of whether they really like a running back. And if they do, you can go get them. It's <laughs> Austin. I agree. He says, that's the one thing I don't miss about Peyton is this quote. I like our receiver room about the Marquez Callaway, Lil Jordan Humphrey, Deontay Hardy receiver room. Very true. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we're fine. We're fine. Don't worry about it. We got this. Traquan Smith in the third round. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a person that um has managed to stick around, though, as much as we like to take little jabs at Traquan. He seems to have, I guess, found his niche with this team. Well, I mean, he's he's a guy who knows the offense and he's gonna they're gonna bring him back on a cheap deal. But like the fact is he was the only wide receiver they took for like four years. Yeah. And you had and you had Sean Payton. And again, it's just an example of like Sean Payton being like, I can ring the most out of anybody you give me. So I would rather have the offensive line, defensive line fully stocked. I want a full allotment of cornerbacks. I want everything that I can get in the top half of the draft that I don't have to worry about because I want to worry about the offense. And uh, yeah, so hopefully like that's, that is the, if you're a saints fan and you're, and you're trying to find a silver lining of having Dennis Allen as the head coach, it is that I think you will be seeing a lot more skill positions on the first two days of the draft than you had under Sean Payne. And so that's where that's, that's my last take of the day. Yeah. I would think a lot of folks were probably pretty, taken back that Allen was so aggressive to go after Olave last year kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. Like I get it. Um, but yeah, I think it just is a sign of like, yeah, we, we don't have that kind of this self-proclaimed offensive guru anymore. And you know, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna get more set it and forget it type offensive players. That's the way I kind of, I, I kind of look at it. Like they're, they're programmed. You don't have to worry about whether they can develop over time. They're supposed to be ready now. Uh, and that's Alave, and that's you know, first round offensive tackle, first round guard, that sort of. Well, if it's more offensive linemen, like you said earlier, Saints fans are going to go batty, um, even though they should be used to it by now. Well, everyone gets mad when they draft an offensive lineman, and then they also get mad halfway through the season when you're starting Calvin Throckmorton. So it's like you you can only have so much. Like I'm not gonna like if you're gonna complain about everything, and then yeah, anyway. That's the end. That's I, I said that was my last take, and so I'm done. Right, uh, anyway, let's wrap that up. We've been on here for way too long. This is I hear the March Madness music. Yeah, I got to – yeah, gosh, I have like less than an hour to edit this and start watching UConn men. So go Huskies, U-C-O-N-N. -N. Um, 
pride of stores. Yeah. This is Inside Black and Gold. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow Steve at Steve Geller WWL. We're going to be hosting Sports Talk on Friday, 4 to 8 p.m. Tune in for that. WWL AM 870 FM 105.3 in the Odyssey app. Call in at 504-260-1870. You can text as well. That's always fun. Um, if you want to do so anonymously. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you. We have four hours to kill tomorrow, and we just spent two hours talking, so I don't know what we're going to talk about. But We'll just replay our two hours for two. There we know. go. Yeah, we'll just literally put this on and then sit there and watch basketball. How about that? Right, exactly. Well, what, what's cool is we'll be on. We'll see the women's basketball team with their Sweet 16 matchup. Uh, and I guess we'll recap the LSU baseball game since they started early now. Yep. Yep. So good old noon starts. But all right. That's it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, everyone, who dropped in a comment question. As always, this is Inside Black and Gold. Who that? Appreciate you folks. <laughs>